When you think of Taiwan, think of a country that is full of superstition. People who study religions around the world say that Taiwan has the most temples of superstition, that kind of temple, for a small area than any other place in the world. All over Taiwan, you can find temples to worship this god or that god, and people will actually allow demons to enter into them. They allow that to happen for whatever reason. Sometimes they ask demons to enter into them to know the future, or they want to make contact with the dead in order to know what decisions they should make. And so we live in a place that is just full of demonic activity where the spiritual world is active, not just because Satan is active everywhere, but because people allow that into their lives. I live in the southern city of Kaohsiung. It's a port city. From my house, just a few hundred yards away, you have the docks. You can't enter from where I am, but you can go around another way to get to the docks. And I live there. The city has about a million and a half people. It's an industrial city. It's well laid out, very nice. And we have lovely winters. The weather doesn't get cold at all. And so it's just a lovely place to live. Now, some people say you live in a place with so much superstition. So many people will tell you, I am not a Christian. And this has gone on for years. How do you get encouragement? Well, when I was a child, we would witness to people everywhere, and it was very common for people to say, I am a Buddhist, and just shut us down. No, I'm a Buddhist. You have your religion. I have my religion. Let's move on. But 30 years ago, as I began ministering as an adult, I found people's answer was different. They would say, well, all religions are the same. Now, that doesn't make them a Christian. But notice how there's a shift Instead of just shutting us down, they were saying, well, you know, you Christians have something valid. We have something valid. There was a shift. About 10 years ago, I started noticing as I would witness to people, they said, I have a friend who's a Christian. Well, that's new. That's not what I heard 30 years ago. But lately, as I've been witnessing, I find people saying more and more, I have a family member that's a Christian. Well, to us, that's exciting. That doesn't mean that we're seeing a wave of Christians, but we are seeing more and more people come to Christ. In Taiwan, we have a positive view of the, Christ, of, the church, of the future for the church. We have a positive view that more and more people are coming. Churches are reaching out. People are responding. Now, some people say, well, are all of those real Christians? <laughs> well, if we weren't expanding, we could still ask the question, are all of those people real Christians? But we're thrilled to see people coming to Christ, and in Taiwan, a big step for people is getting baptized. And we're seeing many people willing to get baptized. I was on the bus one night, just traveling, two and a half hours, just traveling along, and a young woman was sitting next to me, 19 years old, and she was just full of faith. She was a Christian, just full of confidence. And I thought, wow, how can someone 19 years old be so confident in her faith? And I kept talking to her and talking to her. Finally, I said, you know, in my church, we have other teenagers, people in their young 20s, they are willing to say that they're Christians, but they're not willing to be baptized. What advice can you give me as I talk to them? Silence. Silence. <laughs> Did you hear my question? She said, I've never been baptized. And I thought, wait, this doesn't make any sense. You're the one who's so confident. You're the one who's just so sure about your faith. I said, why wouldn't you be willing to be baptized? 
And what she said was, because if I get baptized, I can no longer worship the ancestors. I said, do you still worship the ancestors? Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. I'm a Christian. I said, well, then why aren't you baptized? And then what she said to me was, maybe God had you sit next to me on the bus tonight to challenge me to go ahead and be baptized. So we have good things happening in Taiwan. My major role now in Taiwan is to encourage pastors, those who are prospective pastors, those who are already pastors, because they're really under a lot of pressure. In non-Christians' lives, as I mentioned, there's this big spiritual battle, but that bleeds over into Christians' lives as Christians deal with their non-Christian family members. What do you do when you go home for Chinese New Year's and everybody else is a non-Christian? Everybody else worships the ancestors and only you do not. How do you handle that? What do you do at a funeral? Your parents die. Which of those customs are pagan? Which of those customs are legitimate? How do you make all those decisions as a minority in your family? You want to express respect for your parents, but how do you make that decision? And so pastors are under a lot of stress. How do they answer these questions? How do they help people? And then you just have all the people problems. Uh, people have rivalry. People have anger. People have uh, viciousness in their lives. How do you handle this? What if somebody is unkind to a Christian? How does the Christian respond? What happens when two Christians, whether because they can't help it or maybe because they can, there are problems? How does the pastor handle that? And so I have an opportunity, now that I'm older, to be a mentor to prospective pastors and pastors in Taiwan. But then what I also do, besides preaching in churches, I have weekly Bible studies. With COVID, of course, came the opportunity to do things online, and now after COVID, some of our teaching is still in person, but some is online. I have a men's Bible study every Tuesday evening that is online because for the men to get off work and get home, eat something, and come and meet us someplace just takes too long. Why not save that travel time and just meet online? And then it has worked well. As a result of having it online, we can even have people from other countries join in our Bible study. During COVID, a church in Singapore said, all of our services are online because of government restrictions. Could you preach for us? Well, yes, I can do that. I'm sitting there in Taiwan, and I could preach online for them in Singapore. Their culture is not the same as ours, but it's very similar. And so I built a good relationship with this church, preaching online. Well, when COVID came to an end, they said, we want you to come. So I was able to fly from Taiwan to Singapore, help them with their vacation Bible school, help them with their youth outreach, of course, preach in their services. But that relationship has continued on because there are several churches there that I help, but one does not have a pastor. They have me help them in many ways. Now, back in May, I flew from Taiwan to our neighboring country, the Philippines, to be part of the Foundations of Baptist Fellowship. While there, a Chinese pastor from Indonesia got to know me, and he said, can you come and preach to our church? And I thought, wow, you know, I don't live in the capital city of Taiwan, so for me to go to his city, I have to fly from my city 
to Hong Kong, from Hong Kong to the capital of Indonesia, and then from there back to the island of Borneo where he is, that's a long trip, and that's an expensive trip. Well, I thought, and I said, you know what? I'm going to be in Singapore later this month. Let me give you this time. Can I come at that time? He said, sure. So I was already in Singapore. All I had to do was take a ferry across to the Indonesian island of Batam and fly one hour domestically to Borneo. Well, that was cheap. And then I could teach them and then fly back to Batam and then take the ferry to Singapore. So I have good opportunities in Taiwan, but also elsewhere, because I, I have the flexibility in my schedule, flexibility in my life that I can help in different locations. Today I want to share something. Maybe you've noticed it. I was studying this several years ago, and it really impacted me. In the Gospel of John, how is Jesus presented? Let me read some verses. You know these verses. You know in chapter 2, it says, This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. Now listen carefully. He thus revealed his glory. Do you notice that word? Glory. The water changed to wine. As I read the story, not many people knew that the water changed to wine, right? But the Bible says, wow, that reveals his glory. Chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Notice again, Jesus is receiving glory. Well, then you see in verse 40 of chapter 11, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Chapter 8, verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Chapter 12, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I've glorified it and will glorify it again. So the Father is receiving glory, but notice in chapter 16, what does he say about the Holy Spirit? He will bring glory to me. Do you keep seeing this word glory, glory, glory? Well, I read somewhere, somebody called the Apostle John, the Apostle of Glory. Good, good, I like that. And I hope that you will go home and read the book of John again and notice the word glory, but also this whole aspect of emphasizing, without using the word, the glory of Jesus. But I've been reading the book of John also, and you know, right at the beginning, right at the beginning, it starts off with, and the Word became flesh. If Jesus had just come down from heaven and appeared, and appeared, and I believe he did that in the Old Testament, if he had just appeared, would he have been a person, a human? No. He had to come down and be born. He was in a family. He lived as a human being on earth, interacting with everybody as a person. As we read the New Testament, a lot of people didn't know he was God. A lot of people didn't believe he was God, but they believed he was a person. Even today, you can find many people who will say, yes, Jesus was a human being. 
Today, not many people debate whether or not Jesus was a human. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's keep reading. What does it say? And we beheld his glory. Do you see that? Now, I love, as I read the whole Gospel of John, I read 1 John, I I read Revelation, John goes on to say, we handled him. That, that just that grips me. We handled him. It wasn't just that we saw him. Hi, how are you? No, we, we touched this word of life. Wow. There's an emphasis on the one hand of Jesus is flesh. He's a human. But I just mentioned there's also the other aspect of glory. So I would like to call the Apostle John the apostle of flesh and glory. Let's look back at the, at the book of John. Let's look back at the book of John. John 1.14, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. Okay, that's a contrast. In chapter 1, verse 29, what does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God. Okay, that's the flesh side. Jesus is going to be sacrificed like a lamb. The, the, the body. But he was baptized. And when he was baptized, my beloved son, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. In the same place, the physical baptism of Jesus, you have this emphasis on his deity. Chapter 145 People refer to Jesus. They call him Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. But in verse 49, it goes on to call him son of God, king of Israel. And I say, wait, here's this contrast. In verse 51, of course, it refers to heaven opening and angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, the the glory side. In chapter 4, you have Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus sits there. The flesh side of him, they've been walking, he sits down. Where are the disciples? They've gone to get food. Okay, that's the flesh side. He says to the woman, could you give me a drink of water? Well, that's the the flesh side. But the glory side, we see in that same story, she says, this man told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And in verse 42, it refers to him as the Savior of the world. So I'm saying, as I read the book of John, I see this contrast. On the one side, the flesh. On the other side, the glory. Now, the people listen to him. And, you know, I live in Taiwan in a cross-cultural situation. Do you know that in Taiwan, we have three kinds of Chinese people? There was one wave of, of immigration in the 1600s. And so they spoke one language, Well, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was another wave of immigration to Taiwan. They speak another kind of Chinese. And then in the mid-20th century, there was another wave of immigration, and they speak a third language. So our subway in my city, at every stop, they announce the station in four languages. It is so frustrating to ride on the subway and be talking to someone else because from one station to the next is about two minutes. And during that two minutes, they announce the next station will be, and they do that in four languages, 
And then just before you arrive, they have to go through those four languages again. So three kinds of Chinese and English. So you're trying to talk to someone, and then they start announcing. And so you wait, and then you say a few more words, and then they start again. Why so many languages? Because even though we're in Taiwan, and it's a small place, because of these different waves of immigration, you have different cultures, different identities, and even different languages. So I'm pointing out, in Taiwan, you can have culture clash, even between Chinese people. Now, one of the humorous culture clashes, it's not something that makes people angry, but it can be stressful. The Chinese people divide themselves between those who eat rice and those who eat noodles. The people with a heritage of northern China, they typically eat noodles. The people from southern China, they typically eat rice. And so sometimes the husband and the wife will be from different backgrounds. And so then the husband starts to complain. Either, why are we always having noodles? Why can't we have rice? Or they complain, why are we always having rice? Why can't we have noodles? It's what they grew up with. And that's something that, it can be stressful. You know, that's what you eat is every day. But it's also something that's humorous as people in Chinese culture talk about each other. We're in a culture clash. As you have people from different backgrounds, there's misunderstanding. How do you communicate with each other? How do you overcome all of that? Well, Jesus in his day was with people from his background. They understood his native language. They shouldn't have misunderstood him. Today, people say, well, we're not quite sure what Jesus meant. Well, maybe you don't know. But the people then understood him. And they say in chapter 5, verse 18, wow, you're calling God your father. You're making yourself equal with God. They understood what Jesus was saying. Today, it's interesting that people like to say, well, Jesus never called himself God. He called himself the Son of God. And I say, wait, 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 let's go back to chapter 5. What did those people around him think he was saying? They understood him to say, I'm God. And I like to tell people in Taiwan, okay, what does the word Son of God mean? Those of you who are fathers here, what are you? Well, every father is going to say, I'm a human. Okay. How would you feel if I asked, all right, you're human. What is your son? <laughs> That's insulting. What do you mean, what is my son? If Jesus' father is God, and Jesus is the son of God, then what is Jesus? The word Son of God doesn't emphasize his difference from the Father. It emphasizes his similarity. Today, people don't understand that. In Jesus' day, they understood that. Oh, you're making yourself equal with God. In chapter 5, he goes on, the Son gives life. The Son is the judge. They need to honor the Son as they honor the Father. The Son has life in himself. He has the authority to judge. All of this is emphasizing that glory side. And I'm trying to emphasize the, the flesh side and the glory side. In chapter 6, they refer to him as the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, yes. But then they say, how can he say I came down from heaven? I, I, I want to emphasize this contrast. On the one side, they see the flesh side. Well, we know your family. You grew up here. 
but why do you say you came from heaven? So I want to emphasize that John, the apostle, is the apostle of flesh and glory. At Lazarus' grave, what do we see? Jesus walks up. Here's his friend, Lazarus, who is dead. And Jesus wept. Now, I wish you would study Chinese culture. I think one very, very simple thing you will find out in Chinese culture is Chinese people hate death. They're superstitious about death. They don't like talking about death. They don't joke about death. It's something horrible. But then study the Chinese religions, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism. What did they say about death? I went to a, a museum in Taiwan, a government museum, and they had a display about death. And I was annoyed. They argued in that government museum, what if nobody ever died? There'd be too many people, right? So death is good. And I was offended. I was offended. I don't want anybody to come up to me and say, I'm going to have a baby, so we need to have your grandmother die. I would be deeply offended if someone said that to me. No, 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 I don't believe this nonsense that death is good because it calls out people. No. Confucius said, we don't understand life. How can we understand death? So he didn't talk about it. It's not important enough to talk about Taoism says, after you die, you, you go to this place and your children need to send you houses and cars and money because it's similar to where we are now. No, 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 no. After death is not the same as before death. The Buddhists say, well, you die, you're reincarnated, you die, you're reincarnated. Each death takes you another stage closer to nirvana. And so it's not that bad. And so for centuries and millennia, the Chinese religions have told people death isn't so bad. Okay, let me ask you, what religion in the world puts death at its very center? What religion in the world has a symbol for that religion that stands for death? What religion in the world says, from early Genesis and on, death is horrible, it's horrible, horrible, and makes solving death its goal, Christianity. And so I love telling Chinese people the religion in the world that best suits Chinese culture is Christianity. Now, what I have done, this is kind of my way of meditating on the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John and Revelation. I've restructured what John says into the form of a story that I'd like to read to you. I'm John, fisherman's son from Galilee. I didn't have a lot of education growing up, just the standard Hebrew education in the synagogue, but we did pick up some Greek so we could get by with the Roman soldiers and other people living in Palestine. Remember, just across the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis, the people spoke Greek. Still, I may not sound as eloquent as some others might. I want to talk to you today about life, 
not life as a fisherman or, or your lives here, but the truth of what life really is. You see, this life was from the beginning, but this life appeared to me. I, I saw it. I heard it. In fact, these rough hands touched it. That's the life I want to tell you about. I want to tell everyone. Because this life was with God the Father himself, I believe if I tell you this, you will have joy abounding. When we heard of another man named John preaching in the wilderness of Judea and baptizing the people who repented from their sin, we became his disciples. But the core of his teaching was always that someone would come after him that would be greater than he was someone he didn't feel worthy even to untie the sandals of. You can know we looked forward very eagerly for the appearance of this man. One day, John said something that was very different from anything he had preached before. He noticed a man from Galilee, from Nazareth, a town not too far from where we lived, and announced, Look, here is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. Even though we didn't understand all that John the Baptist said about this man, that he surpassed John and was before John and was somehow the Son of God, the Lamb of God, we took note of this man and kept track of what he was doing. We heard that he had taught in the synagogue with such authority that everyone was amazed. If the, leaders of, if the teachers of the law were so unsure about the meaning of Bible passages, how could this Nazarene a carpenter from not too far away, in fact, be so confident about what it said. My friend, another fisherman named Peter, told me one day that his wife's mother had gotten sick with a high fever. This Nazarene named Jesus went to Peter's house and leaned over her and said only a few words, and then the fever was gone. Peter was especially happy that Jesus had healed her right away. Since it was the Sabbath, no other doctors would have come until the sun had set. The next time we saw Jesus, he had a whole crowd following him. He approached Peter, because he already knew him, and asked to let him use his fishing boat so he could preach to the crowd. Since sound travels well over water, and there was a natural rise to the land from the water's edge, it was better than a stone amphitheater. Peter was only too glad to lend him the boat since he had been fishing all night, but had caught nothing. Yes, I'm a businessman. <laughs> I wondered whether Jesus would give Peter any money for the use of that boat, but he didn't. From where I was, his voice carried easily to me over the water when he said to Peter, Go out to the deep water and put down your nets. <laughs> Peter protested that all of us had been fishing all night, but had caught nothing. Still, he did what Jesus asked. In no time, Peter was shouting for me and my brother James to come help. There were so many fish that the nets were breaking. We hurried over and took on as many fish as we could, but had to stop when we saw our ships were starting to sink from the weight of the fish. This was the greatest payment any fisherman has ever received for the temporary use of his boat. Jesus looked at each of us and said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I walked away from my boats and nets. So did James. We followed Jesus. And we, well, my brother James died quite a while ago, still follow him. And I always will. 
May I tell you about this man? I listened to him preach for hours, often telling parables that referred to simple things in our lives, sheep, a net, a coin, often telling stories that were outside of our experience, a pearl of great price, a rich lord going away on a journey, a thirsty man in Hades. I thought I didn't understand his teaching because I'm uneducated, but the other men, like Peter, James, and others that joined our group later on, didn't understand either. Very often after teaching the crowds, Jesus would take the time to sit down and explain his stories to us. I listened to him for more than three years and learned to love his voice. I yearn even today to hear it again. I would love that voice, even if it rebuked me. Jesus puzzled us when he heard that his dear friend Lazarus was sick, but he didn't go immediately to heal him. He had healed all sorts of people, quickly and without any effort, but he purposely waited days before going to Bethany. The sisters of Lazarus were mourning his death, but Jesus spoke to them kind of gruffly. Your brother will rise again. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He seemed doctrinaire and unfeeling. But then I remember his commanding shout. Lazarus, come forth. You should have seen the eyes of the Pharisees bug out of their head. You should have heard the cries of Mary and Martha, overjoyed to be with their brother again. I remember the way he rebuked us when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. We were tired from a busy week and had just had a large meal at Passover time. It was very late at night, and Jesus wanted to pray. Peter and James and I wanted to sleep. Jesus asked us to pray with him. And if I could do it over, I would pray with him. But while he prayed, we slept. He came twice to wake us and rebuked us for not staying awake with him. Only later, when the soldiers came to arrest him, could we see by the light of their torches that Jesus was really worked up and worn out. I wish I could have been with him to encourage him at this crisis point in his life. I remember that night in the storm on the Sea of Galilee when we saw what looked like a ghost walking on the water. I'm ashamed to admit that we were all terrified. But Peter was brave and shouted, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. I can still remember the single word he shouted above the waves and through the roaring wind. Come! As I stand here, I can remember the smells I associate with him. Because the 12 of us often slept together with him, I can remember waking in a room with the smell of 13 men hanging in the air. I can remember waking out of doors and smelling the morning freshness through the dust of the ground we had slept on. I remember greeting him with a kiss and tasting on his lips the wine he had just drunk and smelling the warm, dank odor of his sweat. There was a time that we passed by a man who had been born blind. Jesus explained that the blindness was not because of the parent's sin or the other man's sin. He was blind so God could show his works in the man's life. What works? Jesus spat on the ground and then formed the wet earth into something he put on the blind man's eyes. Oddly, he told the man to go to the pool of Siloam to wash his eyes. Later, we could see that this man could see clearly. 
Many a time as we traveled, Jesus gripped my arm or laid his hand on, his hand on my shoulder or embraced me. When we sat in a boat, his body jostled against my own. When we reclined at a meal, he might be behind me so I could lean back against him to make a private comment. I remember the last meal we ate together before his death. He took a towel and a basin and went to each of us, his disciples, and washed our feet. I should have been washing his feet. He shouldn't have washed mine. I remember walking on one of our many trips between Galilee and Jerusalem. I don't remember which direction we were going, but I reached out to touch his arm to catch his attention, and my hand slipped on his sweaty skin. I glanced over and saw that a small crumb of bread was caught in his beard, but then he turned toward me, the wind blew, and as the beard waved in the breeze, the crumb flew away. I looked straight into his eyes. His look made me feel loved, loved more by him than by anyone else I knew. Another time, we were at someone's house to eat, I forget whose, and as usual, we sat down so that a servant could come wash the dust off our feet. I was seated beside him that day and noticed the servant unbind Jesus' sandals and place his foot in the basin of water. I noticed that the clear water turned dark from the dust, but the skin turned darker too now that the dust was washed off. With the gray dust off, the black hair on his legs accented his skin color. May I tell you something else about my friend? He was the closest of my friends. Yes, he was my teacher, and more than a teacher, he was someone I considered my Lord. I did whatever he told me because he deserved that authority over me. But he was also the person I considered to be my loving friend, the best friend I've ever had. I remember the shock, the, the pain I felt when he was arrested that night in the garden. What could the three of us with him do when armed men came with some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees? Jesus had said that he knew something important, so important that it was going to fulfill Scripture, was going to happen. And he asked how many weapons we had. Among us, we had two swords, and he said that was enough. When the soldiers came, should we have defended him with those swords? Peter drew his and ended up chopping off the ear of the high priest's servant, but that didn't do any good. Jesus even reached down and picked up the bloody ear and put it back on the servant's head. It didn't seem to make sense. Peter and I followed the soldiers as they took Jesus to the house of the high priest. The girl at the door wouldn't let Peter into the courtyard, but because I had connections there, she let me in. I took a look first to see what was happening, and then I went back and said a few words to the girl at the door, and then she let Peter in. Do you know what it is like to watch the person you love most suffer painful, shameful, unfair, inhuman treatment? I watched the high priest question Jesus. One of the officials reached over and slapped Jesus for one of his answers. They took Jesus to see Caiaphas, and then to see Pontius Pilate, and then to see Herod. Pilate had Jesus flogged, and then the soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head, and then Pilate condemned Jesus to be crucified. That was a very long walk to Golgotha. Some women that followed Jesus walked along the way, and I followed too. 
I stood at the foot of Jesus' cross and watched him hang there in agony, the nails in his hands and feet, blood coming down from his face, from the wounds and from the crown of thorns on his head. He writhed and gasped even to breathe. What could we do when our own Jewish leaders had teamed up with the hated Romans to put to death one of our own community who had broken no law? The man who had preached authoritatively for hours now gasped short bursts of words. Woman, here is your son, he said to Mary. To me, he said, here is your mother. I knew he was putting her into my care. Of course, I would do anything for him. And then I watched the man I loved most in the world die. Have you watched one of your friends die? His breathing stopped. His body slumped down. His head dangled awkwardly over his chest. It was the most offensively distasteful scene imaginable. From very young, I've heard Moses read in the synagogues. We read through the whole Torah, the law, every year. I would watch as a boy as the man would turn the scroll slowly throughout the year. I remember what some might call the high point of the whole Torah. Moses was on Sinai, and he was receiving the law from God, and he said to God, show me your glory. God said Moses wouldn't be able to see it and live, so God put Moses in a crevice in the rock, and God put his hand over the rock and then passed by so Moses could see only his back. What a change in Moses. When he came down the mountain, Moses' face shone so brightly, the people had to cover it with a veil. Show me your glory. The high point in Moses' life. God said that he didn't use dreams and visions with Moses, uh, the way he spoke to other prophets. With Moses, he spoke face to face. And Moses saw God's glory. I remember one day, Jesus took Peter, James, and me with him, and we hiked up a rather high mountain. At the top, something happened that caught the three of us by surprise. Jesus' body changed. His face shone brightly. Even his clothes turned completely white, whiter than I've ever seen any other clothes. A booming voice came from heaven declaring, This is my son whom I love. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. Yes, we believed already that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter had already confessed to him that he knew Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Andrew had recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Christ, even before he introduced Peter, my friend, to Jesus. Philip had recognized Jesus as the coming one promised by Moses and the prophets and told Nathanael, and Nathanael right away declared that Jesus is the Son of God. But that day on the mountain, we saw his glory the glory of the only begotten, the one and only from the Father. Immediately, we noticed two men standing with Jesus. One was Moses, the other was Elijah. With complete clarity, we saw from the presence of these two men that Jesus was the Christ that Moses and the prophets had foretold for centuries. Every Sabbath in the synagogue, we had heard Messiah prophesied, Now we could see with our own eyes that Moses and Elijah were affirming and confirming that Jesus was the one they had been talking about. 
and we saw Jesus in his glory. The next thing we knew, we felt Jesus touching us to wake us. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Only Jesus was there. Moses and Elijah were gone. Jesus' face and clothes were back to normal. Had I only dreamt the glorious events that were still a clear memory in my mind? No, I hadn't, because Jesus said, don't talk about these things until I've risen from the dead. I understood the first part of that sentence. Jesus didn't want us to tell others what happened, but I couldn't understand what Jesus meant about rising from the dead. But later I did. After Jesus died, I didn't know what to do. I ended up being with Peter, my old friend, and talked with him about what he had seen and done. Peter the rash, John the son of thunder. We were now two helpless men, emasculated by the key leaders of our society. On Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came running to see Peter and me. She was all excited about something and said many things that didn't add up or make any sense. We could only figure out that she was saying someone had stolen the body of Jesus from the tomb. Couldn't they leave him alone in his death? The Jewish leaders had bullied Jesus for three years while he had taught what Moses had taught. Then they framed him and put him to death in a horrible way. Now they had to drag his corpse away somewhere. Peter and I felt some of our old energy and we ran to the tomb. Sure enough, the soldiers were lying at the side of the tomb. The stone was rolled back. I couldn't go in, but stayed at the doorway. Peter caught up with me and then hurried in. When I walked in afterwards, I saw strips of linen there, and I saw the cloth that had bound Jesus' head folded up at the side. No one stealing a body would leave things this way. Jesus had to be risen. He had risen from the dead. Well, remember, he had raised Jairus' daughter. Only Peter, James, and I had seen it. He had raised that, that, that son of that, um, that widow in Nain. He had raised Lazarus. Of course, he could rise again, too. How happy I was for the next 40 days. Jesus appeared to us from time to time in a locked room by the Sea of Galilee on the sides of a mountain. I was thrilled to hear his familiar voice, to see his face, to grip his body, and to talk to him. Suddenly, one day, without any forewarning, he rose up to heaven again, and we were told he would come again. We waited many years, many decades, without seeing him. But I saw him again not long ago. Here, on the island of Patmos, in the westernmost part of Asia, on one Sunday, I suddenly heard a commanding voice, Write down what you see! I turned around and saw seven golden lampstands, and the, in the middle of them, I saw Jesus. He was glorious. How do I express it? A long robe, a, a golden belt, hair of brilliant white, eyes blazing like fire, a booming voice, a shining face, seven stars in his hand, a sword coming from his mouth, with joy, with fear, in full worship, I fell at his glowing feet. Then I felt him touch my shoulder, as he had on the mountain that time. 
Don't be afraid. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever. I have full authority over death and Hades. I obeyed. And then he showed me more of his glory. He took me up to heaven. And I saw wonderful living creatures and 24 elders praising the Most High. They watched as Jesus walked out and took the scroll that no one else had the authority to open, and he ripped open each seal. He looked like a lamb, one that had been killed, and it reminded me of what the other John, the one who baptized so many people, had called him, the Lamb of God. And then the wonderful living creatures and the 24 elders bowed down before Jesus and praised him saying, you are worthy. You bought mankind with your blood. You made them to be royal priests. And then angels, literally millions of them, chorused in a thundering voice proclaiming, you are worthy. You died. Now you are worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. And then everyone, everything that God created, joined in with the angels and sang together praise and honor and glory and power to the Most High and to Jesus the Lamb. And there gathered a crowd of people, more than anyone could count, from every country, every ethnic group, every language. And they shouted loudly, salvation is God's and the Lamb's. And afterward, I heard what resembled loud peals of thunder announcing, the Lamb's wedding, the bride is ready. And then I saw the groom, Jesus whose eyes blazed like fire under a forehead ringed with many crowns, riding on a white horse and wielding from his mouth a victorious sharp sword to destroy his enemies. His white robe was emblazoned with King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then a great white throne exalted and ominous, and Jesus seated there to judge all that had died. And then a glimpse of heaven, a glorious place that had no temple, but there wasn't need for a temple. The Lamb is the temple. And then the vision was over. And I was back here on Patmos in Asia. But the memory stays with me. I know my time here on earth isn't long anymore. And when I leave here, I will see Jesus again as I saw him in the vision. And I can't wait to see him. Let's pray together. Oh God, you have shown us yourself in all that you've created. And we're amazed. But you've shown us yourself in Jesus, and we're more amazed. We pray that you would lead us each day as we see all that you have made, all that you are doing, and especially all that you are, to come to a full appreciation of your glory. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.
One of my challenges as I talk with you is how do I compete with the Internet? I ride a motorcycle in Taiwan as I go from place to place. And so I thought, well, to let you know what that's like, should I get a camera and try to, to film myself riding a motorcycle? I, no, I want to live through it. So if you want to find out how somebody else has taken a risk with his life, go on YouTube, type in Taiwan motorcycle. You'll be thrilled, and you'll see far more than I could ever show you. And then I see these people in Taiwan, who, foreigners who live in Taiwan, and they make videos about life in Taiwan, and I say, well, maybe I should do that. I just can't film myself jumping up and down saying, wouldn't you like to try egg pancake? I, I, I just can't do that because I've eaten too many. It's, I've eaten it too long. So if you want to find how exciting it is for a newly arrived American to eat egg pancake, please type in Taiwan food, and you'll see all kinds of exciting things. I, I can't compete with them. They do it too well, and I'm not going to stop. I, I can't do that. But what I can do is tell you what goes on on the inside of Taiwan, the, what's going on in people's minds. And so I want you to listen carefully as I talk today. I'm using these methods in Taiwan to share the gospel. And as I talk, you'll find out, oh, so that's what is triggering this. That's what is being triggered. That's what, is, uh, that's what people are thinking. And that's why I have to evangelize this way. If you ask people in Taiwan, are you a sinner, everybody will say no. Now, come on. I, I, I've lived in Taiwan a long time, and I, I've learned a way to cheat in that question. I ask the people over here, are those people sinners? And they all say yes. And then I ask the people here, are those people sinners? Uh, yes. But no one's going to say, I'm a sinner. But I have found one exception to that where people are willing, in a general sense, to say, yeah, I've got a problem. Let me show you something. There was a king one time, and he needed to hire some advisors. But the problem with hiring people is all you can see is their face. Who is honest? Who will not steal? Who is not greedy? You don't know. So what, what can you do? So he invited a bunch of candidates and had them all sit down, and he gave each of them a cup. So this is what you do. You may you sit there. You may have us fill it as full as you want. You may drink as much as you want, but don't drink yet. We'll all drink together. So the first person heard that and said, hmm, let me be careful. So he said, well, just, just pour a little bit. So the server poured just a little bit. And he set his cup down, and everybody was served, and it came time to drink, and he drank with everybody. The second person was a little bit braver. He said, add a little bit more. So the server did what he wanted, gave him some more, and everybody was served, and it came time to drink, and he drank with everybody. The third person thought, come on, come on. Didn't the king say, drink as much as you want? Fill it up, he said. <laughs> so the server filled it up. 
And he put his cup down and waited for everybody else to be served. And some people took more and some people took less. And they went through every person. And then when they finally came to the end, then the king said, Okay, everybody, let's drink together. Oh, there's <laughs> nothing there. <laughs> this is called a greedy cup. If you put a little in, it all stays. You put a lot in, it all goes away. And people say, well, it probably goes down the dragon's mouth. No, if it went down the dragon's mouth, it would still have a lot left. But if you look in there, there's a hole at the bottom of the dragon neck. Inside the dragon neck is a siphon. So when, it, when the water covers the siphon, it pulls all the water out. Well, I've noticed in Taiwan, if you ask someone, do you steal, do you lie? No, no, I don't do anything wrong. But people are willing to say, everybody's greedy. Because in Taiwan, money, 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 money. We have so much money. Everything's money. Everything's stuff. People want stuff. And everybody's greedy. Everybody wants more, 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 more. Well, what does this prove? We're all sinful, and it comes from the inside. And people don't like to hear that. They don't want to believe that we're all sinful. They want to say, well, society, people teach us bad things. Really? Your two-year-old? What society does your two-year-old mix with? Who is teaching this two-year-old? But you've seen two-year-olds. They pick up a toy. Aha! They pick up another toy. And then what happens? They see another toy. And now what do they do? They're just as greedy as those of us who are older. And so I like sharing the reality of sin in people's lives. As I meet people, I ask them, what do you think the biggest problem is in Taiwan society? And people give all kinds of answers. Well, it's education, it's the government. It's... And I know I think it's sin. If somebody has a lot of education and they're sinful, that's scary. Someone has a little bit of education and is sinful, that's scary. The issue is sin. It's not having or not having education. Now, what people like to say is, well, come on. We're not all perfect. Maybe you've heard that before. We're not all perfect. Well, let's say you sit down. And I say, come. Would you like to have a nice glass of water? Sure. Well, Let's have some nice water. That's no problem, right? Well, what if I come to your cup? Ooh, gross. Now, wait a second here. What does it matter? What does it matter if it has two kinds of stuff in it? People always say, well, you know, I have a little bit of sin in me, but not a lot. Okay, well, what's going to come out? Is it the good stuff that's going to come out? The water? Or is it ooh, the poison? This pot is actually called an assassin's pot. Hey, let's come have some tea. And I sit down and I drink out of one of the chambers and you drink out of the other chamber <laughs> that has poison in it. But you see, this is the problem with your life and my life. We aren't all good. And when I say we're not all good, I mean me. I'm not all good. But is that how it's supposed to be? 
How can a fountain bring forth good water and bad water? How can a tree bring forth good fruit and bad fruit? We've got to be all good. We can't tolerate that evil. Because here's what, what's, what's, mm, here's our problem with sin. Here's some nice water. This is American water. You can drink it. It's great. Just have some, have some water. Now, you know, since we're not all good, okay, we're not all good, I'm going to just put a little bit of stuff in it, just a little bit. Not, not a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's good stuff. So I'm just going to put a li- just a little bit of bad stuff in it. You know, not much. It doesn't really change the water level. And, you know, no big deal. I didn't put much in there. Would you like to drink this? I just put a little bit of bad stuff, not much. There are a lot of people who say, well, I just have a little bit of sin in my life. But see how that little bit of sin corrupts completely. Well, here, go ahead. Would you like to take it out? Just just take that sin out. (laughs) People say, I can't take that out. So what can I do? Well, see, in my life, if I allow a little bit of sin in there and it corrupts me, it corrupts me completely, How can I get rid of that? Well, the Bible tells me that Jesus came to shed his blood to wash away my sin. So he takes away all my sin. Now you say, why are you talking so much about sin? Because today in Taiwan, non-Christians don't want to hear about sin. Today in Taiwan, Christians don't want to talk about sin. And over the many years, I've heard Christian after Christian say, are you hurting? Is your life rough? Are you having a hard time? Jesus loves you. Come to Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have Jesus as your friend? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? When he got on the cross, he stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much. And he died for you. And they're saying, see, I mentioned the cross, didn't I? And I'm sitting there thinking, what you just said doesn't make any sense. If one of you out there said, Mark Lehman, I love you. I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to go walk out in the middle of the freeway and let a car run into me and kill me. I would think you're stupid. I would not feel loved. This nonsense of, are you feeling bad? Would Jesus loves you so much he died for you? It doesn't make sense unless you mention sin. When you mention sin, I have sinned. Jesus died to pay for my sin, to take the judgment for my sin. Oh, then his death makes sense then his love makes sense. So you've got to mention sin. So one time there was a small group, half Christian, half non-Christian, and a friend of mine was leading this and said, could you come and share the gospel? Well, of course. So I went and I showed this stuff and I emphasized sin, 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 sin. And afterwards, one of the Christians wrote the leader and said, you know, that was so good for Mark Lehman to come. I've been worried the past several weeks we've not been talking about sin. And what was exciting to me is that day I shared the gospel with all these people. And about six months later, I went to someone's house for a meal. 
and one of the non-Christians that had been there that day during those six months had trusted in Christ and ate the meal with me six months later. I was excited. Yes, I was one of the people that shared the gospel with him, and then he came to Christ in that intervening time. One thing that I get called on to do is to speak for funerals. Funerals are no fun. But Solomon says, you need to go to the house of mourning. and Think about what really is going on. And it is a reality. And the Chinese people don't like death. They don't want to talk about death. But funerals are a big deal. And what's wonderful is that many times, either the family member of the deceased or the deceased himself is a Christian, and so we have the funeral at church. Well, non-Christians who know that person come. But sometimes they're kind of superstitious. You know, I don't want to go to a place where all these Christians are. There was a time we had it in a tent, uh, like a, a funeral tent, and they wouldn't stand under the tent. The non-Christians stood outside. Well, if I stand up there and preach, they don't know what I'm talking about. They're not familiar with that, that model. Why are you standing there? What are you, they've never been to church. So I like to use this method. I can do it in English, which I will for you. I can do it in Chinese. Uh, how do I do this? Okay. You can use this method too. It's wonderful. You take a sheet of paper like this, fold, fold, like a paper airplane, but then bring it past the middle. And then, in the middle here, you just tear it. And I've done this many, 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 many times. And these pieces, these pieces are exactly the same as what I'm going to use here. I, I'm using felt because it'll stick to this backing. This is what I, I use in many situations, in funerals, but also in a restaurant, on the plane, whatever. In English, I start off by saying, in front of us, there are two roads. One road is a, a wide road. There are many people on this road. It's easy to get on this road. It's easy to stay on this road. There's just one problem with this road. And that's where it ends up. It ends up in hell. Well, let me tell you about the other road. The other road's a narrow road. Not so many people are on this road. It's the road of the cross. Now, those pieces there are exactly the same as these, and I've used all of them. Well, what about this cross? In Roman times, a lot of people died on crosses. So who, who am I talking about? I'm talking about one day when there were three crosses. And each of these three people was very different. One of them... He was like a lot of people today. He thought religion had a lot of benefit. And in Taiwan, people love to talk about the benefits of religion. Religion is good. And Christianity has done so much for Taiwan society. People love Christianity and its education. They love Christianity and its music. They love many of the ideas that have come from Christian thinkers. They just don't want Jesus. Well, just leave out Jesus, give us the blessings. And we say, no, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have, this, you don't have anything. Well, that day, these three people were on the cross. The first one, he said, well, you say that you're God. Why don't you save us? He wasn't believing in Jesus. He just wanted the benefit of what Jesus could do. 
But Jesus said nothing. This man rebuked him and said, you've sinned. I've sinned. We deserve to be here. But Jesus has never sinned. And see, you and I, we're like these two people. We have sinned. We have offended God. And in Taiwan, many people, when they talk about sin, they're talking about, well, I haven't hurt anybody. I don't hurt people. And I live in a wonderful neighborhood. My neighbors are wonderful. They're not out there hurting people. But what they don't understand is that our sin is not primarily against people. Our sin is primarily against God. We have offended God. So one story I love to tell I live in southern Taiwan. What's very common is for our young people, when they finish high school, they move up to the capital city up north. So imagine a family. They're all excited. Their, their son or daughter has grown up and now is moving up to the capital city. So off they go. Silence. The first week goes by. Second week goes by. Third week goes by. The parents are frantic. Hop on the bus, they go up to the capital city, they hunt all around, they find their son or daughter. They're furious. Mom and Dad, what's wrong? I came up here, I found a job, I found a place to live, I have friends, I'm going to church. What are you so upset about? What did that young person do? Ignored their parents. And I use that story to touch people's lives to help them understand it. That's what we do when we ignore God. God created us. God gave us life. God deserves our worship. And if we ignore him, we have already sinned. That's hard for people in Taiwan to understand. I have nothing wrong. No, you ignored God. Now this one, he went on to say, to believe in Jesus Remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't just say, oh, religion is good. No, he put his trust in Jesus. Of course, Jesus had done nothing wrong. That day, all three of them died. Three days later, Jesus rose again. Well, if Jesus didn't do wrong, what was he doing on that cross? Why was he there? Jesus was there because he was dying for you and for me. Why would he die for you and for me? Because of his love for you and me. You and I have sinned, and Jesus on the cross paid for our sin. He was motivated because of his love for us. Now, I mentioned to you already, Jesus died. this wrong? Three days later, he rose again. He came to life. And because he rose again, he says he will raise up to eternal life those of us that trust in him. But our becoming a Christian is not just about one event where we trust in Jesus. No, it's ongoing. It's lifelong. It's eternal. 
Every day we read the Bible. Every day we pray. Every day the Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us spiritual light. So this is a great way for you to share the gospel with other people. What I've found, I do this for people, and guess what they say? Do it again. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and had the person say to you, do it again? (laughs) And I have people say, oh, let me film that. So then they use their phone, hey, and then they can go home and watch it again and again. It catches people's attention. Now, if you're a shy person, maybe you're afraid to share the gospel with someone who's looking at you with his eyes, Uh, relax. Use this. Guess what they're doing? They're looking at that. They're not looking at you. And you can take a long time to explain. You can do it out of order. You can do it however you want. You're in charge. It's a great way to share the gospel. I'm going to ask Brad if he would come and help me. Could you just hold the end of that? There's a problem, and all across the world, we have all kinds of religions. We have just all kinds of religions, and in in many ways, religions are man's attempt to find God. But there's a problem that the Bible teaches us Man can't reach God because of sin. Now, now what are we going to do? How do we solve this problem? Well, let me show you what we do. This is the Christian teaching on sin. Let's see. I'll lay that down, and I'll pull on it, so don't worry. Um, Let me tie this really tight here. I'm going to make sure that's tight. Okay, and I'm going to tie this here because I want that to be really tight. Because sin is there. It's between us and God. And how can we get rid of this sin? Now, one time in my church, remember this is Christians, I'm preaching in church, and I referred to a certain sin, and afterwards somebody really complained. How can you talk about sin like that? You shouldn't talk about sin like that. And I thought, now what do I do? From now on, not mention sin. And then, well, then why am I preaching? So I said, I I can't be intimidated by this. So I preached another time, and the whole sermon I preached on sin. (laughs) And I explained why in church we talk about sin. If you come to church, I I can't necessarily promise you money. If you come to church, I can't necessarily promise you a house or a car or anything like that. But in church, we talk about Jesus coming and dying for us. And when Jesus died for us, he took away our sin. So if you come to church and you agree that your problem is sin, guess what? Your problem is what we can solve. Thank you. And so, yes, I talk about sin. I talk about sin because that's what people in Taiwan do not want to talk about. But you've read the Bible. This is what Jesus paid for. And this is what I can promise you Jesus will forgive you. 
There are many things. People bring all kinds of problems to me. What do I do about this, 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 this? I don't necessarily know the answer. But one thing I do know, if you will come and say, I'm a sinner, and you will accept Jesus paying for your sin, I know God promises to forgive you. That I have great authority to say. Now, people misunderstand our faith. As soon as I mention I'm a Christian, they say, well, all religions teach good. And I get tired of hearing that because there's a misunderstanding. So one time, I was talking to a 50-some-year-old man, and I said, well, we Christians say, first, you come to believe in Jesus, and then, as a Christian, you do good things. You guys say, we do good things in order to reach whatever salvation. That's different. He said, no, it's the same thing. You're still saying do good. Well, I said, sir, do you have any children? He said, yeah, I've got a 19-year-old daughter. So I said to him, what did your daughter do in order to become your daughter? Well, that is kind of a dumb question, right? Well, nothing. She did nothing to become my daughter. Okay, we're on the same page. I said, now that she is your daughter, 19 years old, does she have any obligations? Remember, this is a Chinese man. Oh, yes, yes, she has obligations. I said, do you see? That's what we Christians are trying to say. To become a child of God, we do nothing. God does everything to save us. But once we become the child of God, well, then we have obligations. As a child of God, then we obey God and we serve and and we obey Him and and we do what pleases Him. That's what we are trying to say. And I try, you know, I try to, to use other things to help them understand first you become a Christian, then you obey God. I ask them, okay, marriage, how does that work? Do you first say, well, let's, let's experiment for 20 years. Let's, let's live together for 20 years and, and see if this works. And then finally, when we love each other, we'll get married and then die. Okay, is that, is that how marriage works? No. First, you get married, right? And then you live together. And, oh, that's not a new concept. In China, they've been getting married for thousands of years. So... I try to express to them, that's what we Christians are trying to say. You don't work and work and work and work. You don't go to your job and say, boss, could I, you know, practice working here for 20, 30 years and then see if you'll hire me 30 years from now? That's not how it works. You walk in the first day and you get hired, and then you work. These are not strange ideas, but they're trying to say, no, First, you practice all this stuff, and then eventually you're saved. No. First, we Christians are trying to say, God saves you, and then you obey and serve and honor God. I think a lot of people in Taiwan, if we would go to them and say, you know, you're 95% okay. You're 95% okay. We just want to help you a little bit. I think a lot of people would say, sure, sign me up. I just need a little bit of help. As I was growing up, 
our school offered Red Cross swimming classes. So every year I would take the next level of swimming and pass, and finally we had basic water safety, and then we learned lifeguarding. So there I am, a teenager, sitting there, and my teacher said to us, if you're on, on the land and there's somebody who's in the water and his head is above water and he's shouting for help, great, throw him one of those lifesavers. That seemed to me so cold, throw him a lifesaver. No, you ought to swim out there and grab him and bring him. And the teacher said, no. His head's above water. He's not dead. You don't swim out there and grab him. You throw him a lifesaver. He grabs on that, and you stay away from him, and you pull the rope. That seems so cold. See, if the person is able to grab a hold of the lifesaver, all he needs is help, right? Help. Well, if the person's out there and he can't grab a lifesaver, you go to him, and he's still above water. You just sit there and talk to him. And I thought, this is terrible. Why are my teachers, save him. No, his head is above water. He's, He's not dead. When he runs out of strength and he sinks for the last time, then you reach out and grab him, helpless, back to land. And I had to think about that. What's the difference between helping somebody and saving somebody? Helping someone means he's 95% there. Throw me a lifesaver, I grab it, it's fine. What is saving? I can't do it at all. Then you grab the person and take him in. Now, that's the Red Cross. But that's why in the Bible we call Jesus Savior. He doesn't reach out to people who are 95% there and say, let me throw you a lifesaver. Here's an extra million. Just, just you'll make it through life. Because I, I think a lot of people in Taiwan would say, you know, God, just give me $2 million, and then you can take a vacation. No, that's not what God offers. He wants to save us. But to save us, what, what do you have to do as a lifesaver in the Red Cross? You talk to the person and say, are you listening to me? Will you stop floundering? Will you let me grab you and take you in? Yes, I won't fight you. I won't climb on top of your head. I'll I'll let you do whatever you want to to me. Then you reach out and grab the person and take him in. If he's not, what they taught us is that the person's going to climb on your head. Both of you will go down. Jesus is saying to you and me, to everybody in the world, are you willing for me to save you? That means every one of us has to say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then he says, okay, I'll do it all. I will save you. And you know, we use the word Savior for Jesus all the time. Becoming a Christian is not just a 5% help. See this? You've seen this before. You can't get the lid off. What a waste. And those of you who've seen this before know there's a hole in the bottom. What good is a pot that you can't get the lid off and there's a hole in the bottom? Well, we'll try something. What 
Why does that work? Because there's a pipe that goes up in the bottom. When I pour the water through, it goes through the pipe. When I turn it over, the water's on the outside of the pipe. So, it works really well. Better than yours at home. The difference between this pot and another pot is not the outside. It's the inside. There's a fundamental change on the inside of that pot. So when God reaches out to save you and me, he's not saying, tell you what, we'll do a 5%. No, it's a 100% change. The Bible calls us a new creature in Christ. So if you want to become a Christian... It's not that you start coming to church, give some money, learn a few terms, make a few friends. No, we come to God and we say, would you change my heart? On the outside, we may look the same. On the outside, we look like everybody else. But on the inside, there's a fundamental change. I try to express this to people in Taiwan because there is so much misunderstanding. And Taiwan's a very capable country. I mean, you know about the microchip industry in Taiwan. Taiwan is, I think it's something like 60% of all the best microchips come from little tiny Taiwan. Not 20%, not 5%. And, you know, for, for as many people as are in Taiwan, it's a high number. No, it's huge. And tennis rackets and bicycles and other stuff. Taiwan is, is just a powerhouse, little tiny place. They're capable people. But God is not coming to the Taiwanese and saying, I'll help you 5%. He's coming to say, I'll save you. I'll make a fundamental change in your heart. And that's hard for people. No, 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 look how good I am. Look how impressive I am. Talk to me nicely. So the way people in Taiwan become Christians, you can, you can line up 100 Christians and have them give their testimony, and 99 are the same way. It's just, they're, they're all the same. I got sick, or I lost money, or I lost my job, number one. I met a Christian. The Christian was kind to me, took time for me. The Christian shared Christ with me. And in that crisis, they were willing to say, I can't do it. They were willing to listen, and then they trusted in Christ. Almost everybody's testimony is the same. They have to come to the end of themselves and then say, okay, I can't do it. It would be fun if I could meet more people who had some kind of logical awareness of Jesus and, and, and what is sin and what is death and what is punishment. No. In almost every case, it's a problem. And see, love is not something that's that common in Taiwan. There's natural love for family, but there's, there's not a lot of love. And when Christians reach out, it moves people. Confucius taught there were five relationships. Lord, versus, Lord and vassal, father-son, husband-wife, older brother-younger brother, friend-friend. But Jesus taught there were two more. Your neighbor, the stranger, and your enemy. That's significant. And so as Christians in Taiwan society, 
That, that's really revolutionary. These people have crises, right? I told you they had crises. Well, the government's not going to help them. <laughs> Their family may not help them. And their friends may not help them. So who helps them? Their Christian neighbor. And that's powerful. We have something in our way of thinking that is completely different from what Confucius taught. And it's revolutionary for Chinese society. And so people come to Christ again and again and again. People in Taiwan complain. Christians say, ah, oh, it's better for somebody else to witness. It's hard to witness to our family and friends. And so I love asking a congregation, how many of you became a Christian through a, a uh, gospel crusade? Nobody. How many of you became a Christian through television or a tract? Nobody. How many of you became a Christian because you read some book? Nobody. How many of you became a Christian because of a friend or family member who was a Christian? All these hands go up. And I say, look, the most effective method, maybe the hardest, but it's the most effective. Please share Christ with your friends and families. And so Taiwan is not a place where we see lots of people rushing in the doors of the church. But it's fun over the years to see one person come, and then a brother, and then the mother, and then the father, and then someone else. And slowly these Christian families develop. That's what I see over a long period of time. And because I see that happening, that's an encouragement to me. Do you have some questions I can read? If others have questions, if you could send them up for us. Okay. Could you tell more about how the Chinese see death? Isn't there a number they avoid? The word for in Chinese is pronounced si. The word for death is si. And so they don't like anything that has to do with four. If they give plates, it's always five. Bowls, five. You don't give four. When they give money for graduation or for New Year's or something, you know, depending on, on inflation, as you watch it, you know, there's, you know, in our money, they may give 200, right? So then, then you know, 300. They might give 360, Right? And then, you know, 380. Well, then 500. They skip over that 400 business because that's just unlucky. One time I was in a hospital. We had visited somebody on the second floor, and they told us we needed to go to the fifth floor. <sighs> I don't want to walk up those stairs. Okay, but, you know, I can do it. So I walked from the second floor to the third floor. Oh, man. Okay. So then I walked from the third floor up one more floor. <laughs> Wait, we're already here. <laughs> How did we get here so fast? There was no fourth floor. Now, the government doesn't believe all this. So when the government builds buildings, there's a fourth floor. So my housing development is considered built by the government. Um, and so there is a fourth floor. But see, the fourth floor is cheaper than the other floors. So I love saying to, to people who say, if I become a Christian, will I get something? And they're talking money. Well, if you become a Christian, you can live on the fourth floor and save money. <laughs> when people get married, they only get married on lucky days. Lucky days, the restaurants are full. 
more expensive, service is slow. On unlucky days, Christians can get married. Restaurants are empty, prices are lower, service is fast. So, because Chinese religions have not taught about death, they've not taught, okay, death is bad, here's how you solve it. They try to make death sound good, but the Chinese don't believe it. There's, there's no solution. They're just afraid. And they're, just, they're so worried. So this even affects Christians. In church, I say to people, have your parents written their will? Hmm. I would never mention to my parents they need to write a will. Because, you, you know, you want to carry on the idea your parents will live forever. I said, no, get your parents to write a will. Okay, those of you who are older, you write a will. Get it ready for your children. Because we're in church, right? What happens? Older people die, and then their kids fight. This is what happens. So please write your will. I'm not going to write it. I'm still only 60. You're allowed to change. Oh, I don't know. You, but this is, this is not what they want to do. Because they're so averse to thinking about death. Okay, come on. No, no. Other Chinese have died. You will, Chinese, you will die also. So prepare. I'm not bossing you around. I'm helping you avoid the problem. Because there were two people, both in our church. They were Christians. And they both died just a few weeks apart. Well, they had only two children. But you know how it is. Well, mom said the house was mine. No, we should divide it. You know, there's all that stuff. And, oh. It, it, really, it really messes things up because people are so afraid of death. Um, how well known is the Bible among the general population in Taiwan? Everybody's heard of the Bible. Um, not many non-Christians have read any of it. They may have heard Noah's Ark, just that phrase, Noah's Ark. They don't know the details, but they've heard about Noah's Ark. Or they've heard of Adam and Eve. They don't know the details, but they just heard Adam and Eve. So no, the Bible is not well known. So I like to start non-Christians in a book like Genesis. Okay, let's, let's just read it. Now some people criticize me. Well, they don't believe it. Okay, well, I know they don't believe it. They don't believe any of it. Let's start with Genesis. First you tell someone, maybe they don't believe it, but maybe they will believe it. And can I tell you something about those people in the book of Genesis? You've heard of Abraham and Isaac? They were Chinese. A huge problem in Chinese culture is infertility. You've got to have children. In Chinese culture, you have to have a son. Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah had to have a son. You've read the story. It's really big. That's a Chinese story. Isaac and Rebecca, they didn't get along. That's a real Chinese situation a real Chinese situation. Jacob and all of his sons and the rivalry, that's a real Chinese situation. So if you take those names out and just say the grandparents, the father, you know, the son, the grandson, it could have taken place in China. It's a very real Chinese story. And so I like presenting that because it's something that that they can, they can fathom. They can fathom very, very well. And it shows who God is. It shows how God works in their, in their lives. And you see Jacob slowly coming to honor God. And you see Joseph being patient under God's control. 
And, but, but, but that story feels very Chinese. Um, in, in the weddings in the Bible, who gets the most honor in a wedding in Jewish culture? The father or the groom, right? At the marriage supper of the lamb, it takes place at the husband's side, right? The groom's side. And who gets the honor from the marriage supper of the lamb? God the father. That's how Chinese weddings are. The person who gets the most honor at a wedding is the groom's father. And this puts a lot of pressure on people to get married because it's not about the people getting married. It's about the parents. And when you read the Bible, there's, there's just a lot that Chinese people can identify with, but they don't know about it. So it's just good to read the Bible with people. Please go read Ecclesiastes. Think about these things. Yes, it's good for them to know who Jesus is. Read the book of Mark. Read the book of John. Understand who it is that we're talking about. Because a lot of them have no concept of who Jesus was. He's just a name. So there's a lot, of, a lot that we do. Now, we do a lot of children's work because the children can come. Church has a good reputation. But they don't necessarily believe. And, and we're oh, fine with that. Because what happens so often, when young people turn 30, all of a sudden the things that we call life's problems hit them. Now what do they do? It's very common at that point for young people to turn to Buddhism. They've never been a Buddhist before, but at 30 when they are hit with these problems, then they go to Buddhism. But if we have taught them since they were young about the Bible then they're willing to say, you know, what about Jesus? And then they turn to Jesus at that time. Um, let's see. Could you tell us about where you live? Oh, yeah. I live in a neighborhood. It's very organized. There are 20 towers, 20 apartment towers, 14 stories tall, every one of them. On each floor, you know, there's an elevator going up. On each floor, there are four apartments. And so I live in number nine, number nine tower. Well, you do the math. If you have that many towers, 14 floors, four apartments, and more than one person lives in an apartment, I think I have 4,000 neighbors. Now, across the street are more towers, and I haven't even asked about that because I, I, there are enough in my little neighborhood. And my, my neighbors are very nice to me. They wave at me. Um, we don't chat long, but on the elevator, from my floor, or, I mean from the ground to floor 13, it takes 40 seconds. But a lot of people get off at floor 7 or floor 8 or 9, so I have 20 seconds to talk to them. And in one conversation you can't say much, but I've lived there 11 years you feel like you know everybody. Now, it was interesting one time, a man moved in, he, his wife, and his mother. And he said he was a Christian. So we talked on the elevator a few times, but then one time we were taking out the garbage. The way we handle garbage in Taiwan is amazing. Look up Taiwan and garbage truck. You'll be amazed. We do not have public trash cans in Taiwan. If you have trash, you take it home. 
Well, then how do you get rid of your trash? When the trash truck comes through, and it's very punctual, you go out there and stand by the road, the truck comes, and you take your bags and throw them on the trash truck. Very, 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 very well. And we, we recycle. We're very careful about recycling. So you take your trash trash and put it on the trash truck. And then there are these volunteers that come and take the recyclable stuff. And I don't know how your trash is, but in my case, my trash trash takes up less space than my recyclables, you know, bottles and things like that. So the bulk of my trash, paper trash, that type of stuff, I give to those people who take it off somewhere else. And then my trash trash, I take out to the trash truck. And so you stand there waiting for the trash truck and you can talk to people and find out what's going on. So this man said that his mother had become a Christian and she'd been baptized. Now his father was interested in becoming a Christian. Oh, okay. Sometimes stories are not so good. I said, great. He said, but his mother didn't want the father to become a Christian. <laughs> there was evidently not a good relationship there. So his mother didn't want the father to become a Christian. I can't solve that. So I said, well, you know, there are other churches. He doesn't have to go to your mother's church to trust Christ. So he later worked out, and his father became a Christian, was baptized. But sometimes navigating among people, even among Christians, can be difficult. But I'm still in touch with him, and it, it's great to, be, uh, to get to know people on many different levels. Um, I think people in Taiwan are afraid of friendship. People are problems. If I get to know you and you have a problem, maybe you'll come and ask me for help. <laughs> it's just easier to keep some distance. Because in their families, there's, a, there's just so much pressure my son needs to go to America to college. Would you give money? You know, my nephew needs an operation. Can you give money? So among the family, there's just a huge flow of money among everybody. And then after a few years, there's a lot of conflict. Uh, one lady, quite a bit older than I, said to me one time, when you and your brothers handle money, do you write it all down? I said, yeah. She said, we don't do that. Because everybody's family, right? Well, I mean, this is what my brothers and I do. She says, you guys probably don't argue about money, do you? And I said, yeah, we don't argue about money. We argue about other things, but not money. And so they're, they're afraid. They're, they're afraid of getting to know you too deeply. But it's a, it's a delightful place where I live, knowing all these people and greeting them, and I don't know all 4,000, but the people in my building were on the elevator all the time. It's fun to talk to them. And, you know, somebody comes home from work, and I'm going up at the same time, and you can just see his shoulders sagging. And how was it today? Ah, rough day. Now at home, I've got a lot more to do, too. Well, it's only 20 seconds, but that's... that's Getting to know the other person. There's a letting down of the guard. No, I don't know all the details. But there's a warmth. There's a, there's a comfort of living with people like that. Um, so that's... Any other questions? Um, with, with COVID, I have done a lot of teaching in Taiwan 
for Singapore. Um, great opportunities to use the internet. And yes, there are disadvantages. So I don't do all of my work over the internet because there's just something about being together with people. But when you can overcome distance or time um, or have variety, it's a, it's a, it's a great method. And especially when I'm in Taiwan and I have these churches in Singapore, it's fun to, to speak for them.